Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Jay Tenenbaum. Jay has acquired over 405 distressed mortgage notes and properties in more than 30 states. He attributes his success and expertise to his ability to effectively integrate his 20 years of experience as a former debt collection professional. He is a nationally recognized expert in discounted real estate investing, has expertise in discounted mortgage notes, and speaks regularly at investment conferences across the country on these topics. So welcome to the show, Jay. How are you doing today? Terrific. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Jay. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, if you can please share, you know, and how you got started in real estate. Certainly. So I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado. I went to college in Southern Colorado, where I went to, I skied and went to school in my spare time. And my family was in the restaurant business. And I thought that was something that I would end up doing the rest of my life. And you pivot in, in certain aspects of your life. And I decided through, you know, circumstance to go to law school. So I got accepted to California in law school, in California, moved away from Colorado and stayed and spent most of my career in California, where I had a debt collection law practice with my wife for 20 years. And the only real estate experience that I knew was the owning and buying and living in the houses that we lived in. And when I, we first got married, we were on a five-year plan. We ended up buying a house and selling it about every five years and moving progressively south from the North San Fernando Valley, northwest of Los Angeles, down to Orange County, where I spent most of my, of my life raising my children. And around 2013, I got the opportunity, a friend of mine, sent me an email saying this guy who I'd never heard of doing a four-day no buying for dummies workshop and went down there and decided, sure, this is something that I could do because, hey, I've been in debt all my life, just not personally. Oh, awesome. And so then what, what happened kind of after that, after that conversation? So I did the workshop and I'll tell you, so the, I did the workshop and the one thing that struck a chord with me was we all get started in real estate at some point and we all do the hotel ballroom gigs, you know, the, the two hour freebie to the three day, you know, dollar $197 to the, okay, let's get you to the big package kind of deal. Right. And some of the, most of that stuff, the education's terrific, but Monday morning, you're all hyped up over the, the fire hose information you learned on the weekend. But what is the one common denominator while most people don't succeed in those type of environments? Because they don't know where to find their first deal. So what hooked me with this was part of the guy's package, so to speak, was access to his database of banks and hedge funds. So I'm like, great. Now I know where I'm going to find my first deal. I just got to call these guys up and here's my low-hanging fruit. Now, fast forward eight years later, I never used it. What I did do was uh, part of his training was learn how to write an um, executive summary, which has helped me raise capital. And just, you know, the opportunities that I've built over the last eight years with banks and hedge fund relationships, you know, 400 plus transactions later, here we are. That's what was the linchpin as to why or how I got, got started in that area. Now, the other piece of it was um, I lived in California and, at the time and pricing in California for mortgage notes was too high. So I learned from the very get-go how to do it out of state. So I've never bought anything in my own backyard. I'm just not wired to do that. 
So can we take a step back a little bit, Jay, and can you explain a little bit about mortgage note investing, uh, the fundamentals of what it actually is? Certainly. So mortgage note investing is really, really, in the simplistic terms, are you're buying paper. You're not buying the house, like traditional real estate. You may never own the house under certain under most circumstances. So we all know if we own, if we've ever owned a house in our life that you go to the bank and you write, sign on the dotted line saying, I want a loan for $300,000. And the bank says, you know, hey, I don't know who you are really. So if you don't make all the payments, I can, you know, take recover my investment by foreclosing on the house. So that's what a mortgage note is. And what where we come in is, so Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, yada, 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 originated your loan in 2005. I'm just being hypothetical here. And somewhere along the line, you stop paying. And when you stop paying, that bank sold that note, along with many, many, many others, in large pools to large hedge funds selling seven, eight-figure checks, at which point in time, they repackaged it for $1.95 and resold it to some other hedge fund. Then it comes down to smaller investors like ourselves, where we go like Star Trek. We take this loan where nobody else has before. These guys have been packaging up and reselling it so often, they may never start a foreclosure, or they never talk to the borrower to see if they could do a loan modification. That's what we do. We take the stuff and we actually work through it. And so we create value add in a lot of different areas, but that's what a mortgage note is. And like I said, if I do a loan mod with you, I'll ne- as long as you keep paying, I'll never own your house. And so if you're looking to invest in a mortgage note, you know, how do you get started with it? And like, what are some of the things that you, some of the most common questions for a newer investor trying to invest in something like this? So first of all, in order to understand what you're doing, like any investment, you got to have some understanding of what you're doing. Now, the shortest way to master that is to partner up with someone like ourselves, Scottsdale REI, that know what they're doing. Because that's how I got started. I bought three notes uh, in January of 2014 partnering up with some guys I met at the dummies workshop that already had done this before. So while I knew dead instruments, I knew my way around real estate. I didn't know the mechanics of node investing, um, who a servicer was, who, who the custodian was, how to talk to a foreclosure attorney and what the foreclosure rules are and things like that. And granted, while I have a legal background and it helped, I still didn't know everything. So you understand that you're buying these mortgage notes at an extreme discount. So for example, if, the house is worth $100,000. Let's say I'm buying your mortgage for $80,000, what you owe on it left. I'm probably buying it for maybe $40,000, $50,000. So I've got a good opportunity to make money and I'm minimizing my risk discount that I'm buying it. But the moving pieces that go with it, you've got, you should partner up with somebody who knows what they're doing. And we walk every, our investors through that. They, we, we tell them, you know, we show them what we did, why we did it, how we did it, when we did it. Because it's the only way you're going to learn. And so typically, I guess for the mortgage notes, you can do like a group investment type of um, strategy. You don't necessarily have to own it on your own. Uh, we've evolved to that. It, with regards to, you know, so the Security and Exchange Commission doesn't come down on you. You cannot pool your investments. So if I'm going to work with you, you're going to bring the capital, but it's going to be you. If it's going to be multiple people, we have started syndicating, what we call syndicating. So we create a special LLC where we're all members of. And then we all invest the monies into the LLC. So we all have, we're all members. We all have decision-making authority inside the LLC. Yes. And so for the mortgage investing, how long is a typical time period? And like, once you invest in it, what kind of happens afterwards um, in regards to the, to the mortgage note itself? So time frame could vary. For example, 
I could work out a loan modification with you first 30 days, first 45 days, whatever, and start generating cash flow. Kind of like a, it's kind of easier than a rental, right? Where I'm getting the cash flow. I'm not getting a call in the morning when the toilet breaks down. I'm getting a good return on my investment. When I first started, I was buying back when I first started, we're still coming out of the crash. A lot of the properties that notes I was buying were properties were underwater, unlike the situation that I hypothetically just gave you. So let's say, for example, the house was worth 50, but you owed 80. Just turn it around a little bit. I'm buying that mortgage at the time for about 10 grand. And I'm talking to the borrower and I'm doing a $300 a month loan payment. So almost I'm making almost a 36% return on my investment right away. And I'm generating $300 a month cash flow. Now, some people might think, well, that's just, you know, three quarters of a break. What if I had 10 notes of that nature? Does $3,000, $3,600 a month change your life? Of course it does. Um, you're building a rental portfolio the same way because by the time you factor in what your NOI is on, say, a $750, $1,000 a month rent, you probably make it about the same amount anyway with more, with more moving pieces to it. Time frame, if you've got to foreclose, we're getting our bigger discounts in states where the foreclosure process takes longer. That's why you're getting the discount. So our investors are involved on a two-year commitment, but that doesn't mean they're in for two years because if you know we decide to sell a note, sell a loan mod after a few after it's seasoned, or we've been buying lately, we've pivoted in this environment over the last year. We've been buying some late mortgages in later stages of foreclosure. For example, we bought a couple of notes last month where we've got a sale date of the 22nd of this month on one and May 3rd of the other. So we may sell it at the auction. We may sell, some investor may buy it, may pay us off the auction, or we may take it back and, and probably do flicks and flips on those two. So that time frame is probably more like nine months to a year. Got it. And so then you also also mentioned a little bit of the value add component of it. How does that kind of work in mortgage note investing? So I'm buying, a, like I said, let's go back to the example. Um, I buy a note for 10 grand that's owed, that the property's worth 50 and the value and the, and the unpaid balance is 80,000. Now I bought it at a discount because it was non-performing. Now that I'm generating the cash flow, okay, if I turn around and sell it to an investor, the cash, you know, because it's now performing, it's got more value to it. Let's say I sell it to the investor for $45,000, right? It's got to be underneath, you know, what the value of the property is. But if I sell it to you for $45,000, you're generating an 8% return on your money right off the door buying a performing asset. Got it. That makes sense. And so are there any types of major risks that we should kind of be aware of when looking to invest in some type of mortgage notes? Sure. So you got to do your diligence as far as you, you want to buy. If you're buying first position mortgage notes, you want to make sure that it's a first position mortgage still that's not wiped out by a tax sale because the property taxes do take priority. And so the, uh, you know, so if, 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 if the tax, the unpaid taxes, delinquent unpaid taxes go to get, lose your property, you lose your property that way. That's the biggest risk. The secondary risk is you overpay for the loan. And so, so I guess when you're doing the calculations on overpaying for the loan, you know, like in terms of like, maybe like a rule of thumb, what is a, I guess, a, a good percentage that you should be buying it at? So good question. We do it a little different. We have, through the evolution of our business, put together what we call a, a ROI calculator, return on investment calculator, kind of a plug and play, you know, formula model, if you say. And so you plug in the particulars of the loan, you know, what the unpaid balance is, what the values are, what you're buying for it, right? And inside that model, we'll model out, in note investing, we, we joke. Years ago, we thought we had 11 or 12 exit strategies. We're probably up to creatively about 15 or 16 now. I'm being facetious. I mean, we keep coming up with some new ones all, all the time. 
But we put about five or six of those exit strategies in the calculator. And so when you kind of spit it out, I mean, it's not perfect, but it kind of gives you an idea that if the return is black, you're in a, you're in a good space. If the return is red, you really need to think about what you're doing. And, and that doesn't mean you, you get deals, a kill deal. You just gotta look at it going, all right, what if I change the price? Does the price make it turn from red to black? Maybe. Because really no such thing as a bad note, it's a bad price. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And so then for you and your company, Jay, are you focused in a primarily a specific market or other markets maybe that you're more heavily invested in? We invest opportunistically, and that's been an evolution as well. So when I first started out, I was buying, you know, those low, what we call the low value assets, you know, the, in, the, in the hypothetical I gave you. And I was working out loan modifications right and left. And as I said, I've invested in probably 30 plus states over the course. And in the beginning, it was like, I'm investing in all these states, but I don't know anything about these states. But if borrowers go to default on me, what am I doing? And then we decided, you know, what's kind of like our five to 10 top markets? And it's a combination of what the marketing conditions are. Do I have a strong team built there, a strong realtor, strong contractor, strong property manager? And is it an area that on a spreadsheet where assets come to me on almost a daily basis, is are going to be areas or states that I'm going to see routinely? For example, if I want to, if you're from North or South Dakota and you want to build something in your own backyard, good luck because you've never seen an asset in there, right? I'm buying my first asset in Hawaii, as a matter of fact, that went under contract on yesterday on that, the first one in Hawaii. But you don't see Hawaii on a, on a spreadsheet very often. You see a lot of the Midwest and the South, Ohio, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Carolinas, Alabama, Florida, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Those are, are areas that become our markets just because we see stuff readily available. Now, we have our favorite markets of the day. Like we've been doing, we're doing some stuff in New Orleans. Now we're doing some stuff in Pittsburgh. We're doing some stuff in Massachusetts. I mean, it all kind of just changes from, from time to time. But it's really a matter of, what you're going to see on a routine basis if you want to scale up your business and then building relationships inside those cities to make it happen. And not always you're going to find stuff in metropolitan areas. So are there some different areas where we should kind of maybe avoid a little bit if we're doing mortgage note investing? (laughs) Very good question. Um, If you would ask me this question about two months ago, I would have a different answer than I'll have today. Historically, I was always an advocate of stay out of New York and New Jersey because the foreclosure rules took forever. However, I have connected with an interesting new relationship that I'm just now starting to test out that if I'm buying a vacant property or vacant note on a vacant property in New York, I could ask the court to let me install a receiver into the deal, which means the receiver will monitor putting a little bit of rehab in it and actually renting it out during the pendency of the foreclosure. So now my desire to stay play in New York has changed dramatically. In fact, we're actually closing on a, on a morning in upstate New York 
disappear pretty quickly. So that's one of the areas. Illinois, I have a love-hate relationship with Illinois. I've done very well monetarily, but the rules and the bureaucracy and the time frame and the delays of foreclosure just drive me nuts. Other areas, you take your good with your bad. I mean, there's those are the primary areas that I don't prefer or have or used used to avoid. Other than that, you know, you, you, like I said, that's where if you stay within your five to ten markets, you can and should become more of an expert in those locales and get an idea. This fits your fancy. And so, for you, what do you see the with the current economy and the current environment? You know, is it still a good time to invest in mortgage note investing? There's never been a better time to do it. I'll tell you why. When I started doing this in 2013, I said I was trained on buying mortgage notes, which we did almost exclusively to about 2017. 2017, pricing of notes went got a little higher. Some of the experts were turning out, you know, students that were poorly trained and they were overpaying for stuff. So we started buying property. We were buying off auction.com, you know, building a rental portfolio, you know, pivoted that way. Around late 2018, early 2019, the market started shifting again. We started buying rentals still. And then after the around the pandemic, we decided, you know, as the as the market heated up hard, you know, you're building to find rentals in, in your Midwest markets were starting to dry up. So we started turning back to notes. And we've been still finding, you know, knock on wood, the the right discounts um, in order to make this stuff happen. So it's a little longer time frame because if I'm working to buy a property to, to rent or buy a property to fix and flip, I'm going to buy it, fix it, you know, rent it or sell it quickly. This could be taking a little longer, except for buying some stuff at late stage foreclosures. So we're getting, like I said, it's getting stuff coming, taken back to us really quickly, but even some of them were not. So it's the acquisition strategy has changed. The discounts have been terrific. So can you also share in terms of like an exit strategies, you know, like what are the top, like maybe one or two different types of exit strategies that we utilize when we invest in mortgage notes? Sure. So if I'm buying in the lower value space, the optimum exit strategy and my preference is to buy notes where the property is occupied in that low, low value bucket, because they're probably in areas that I don't want to take it back. I prefer not to take it back. Probably in areas that doesn't make the best fix and flip, either from a monetary standpoint, you're just not going to get your money out, or areas that aren't the greatest that would, you know, you get yourself getting stolen. So if they're occupied, I have somebody to talk to you. If they're occupied, I'm going to work out a loan model that's going to generate to attract the returns to me. Now, when I'm buying higher value stuff, loan mod, you know, keeping it as a loan mod just doesn't really make sense. You want you're able to generate double digit returns pretty easily in this space in a variety of extra strategies. But on a loan mod, it's only going to work for lower value stuff. If I'm buying something higher value, again, I'm buying a note as an acquisition strategy. But for example, the end of the year, we bought a note in Quincy, Massachusetts, right outside Boston. We paid $350,000 for it. It's worth fixed up six fifty ish, only about hundred grand worth of work. Now, if you were able to pick that up as a property, as a fix and flip, it's an extraordinary deal. But can you do that in this market? No. So that's you know, so so our strategy has changed, and we're buying notes more to do fix and flips, just because of the economics. Because remember, at three hundred fifty thousand dollars, if I'm doing a loan mod at say twenty five hundred, which would be high, let's say, I'm generating about an eight or nine percent return. That really doesn't work for me, right? I'm much, much better off, um, you know, and then we're also buying a lot of, you know, reverse mortgages where the borrower's already deceased. There's nobody loan mod. You can't, you can't work a loan mod out with a dead person. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and thank you so much for sharing, James. 
And so for you, what is your current focus and what are you looking to do next? We grow and evolve on a daily basis, which I think is it keeps you, you energized, right? So we've been buying higher value stuff that we probably bought a year ago. We started doing syndications towards the end of the year. We've built in a terrific component to our model where basically it's in mortgage notes. There, you cannot go to a bank and borrow money like you can for a fix and flip, right? Hard money lenders just aren't out there. They just don't, you can't securitize the loan well enough, right? So what happens is we've developed a model where we're fortunate enough based on our experience where you raise the investor capital 100% what you need to buy that asset, whether it's in a syndication, which is a variety of people you know, jumping in or one person, right? And then once we take it back, so that, so, that you, so going back to the question is, loan mods are an exit strategy. Getting properties by higher value assets and having them sold, getting sold at the auction to a third party investor, because in these markets, you know, investors are going to auctions. They want to buy property. So you're the bank making that property available. We're seeing that a lot of, you know, several of our assets are getting sold at the auctions. And if we don't sell at the auction, we keep it as, and turn around and do a fix and flip primarily. Those are pro, those are one of several exit strategies available, but those are our primary bread and butter right now. And so what we do is if we don't sell it at auction, then do you have, now we own it. Now we're the, it's REO. Now it's a bank owned property. Now we're the bank. So now we own the property. And so at that point in time, we go to one of our credit facilities, lending sources that we do have. And rather than doing it as a refi where they only will give you so much leverage, they actually treat it as a purchase. So we can get 90% of our cap, our investors capital return to them once we take it back at sale. So the investor capital is around a six to nine month time period of which before they return, before they're taken out about 90% of their investment. So now as we go to fix and flip it, we're using the heart, the institution money for the rehab, your equity stake is still intact, but out of $350,000, let's say you've got about $100,000 left in the deal. So now I go out and make a couple hundred thousand dollars on the, on the profit, but I only have 250,000 already returned to me and I only have a hundred thousand left of the deal. What does that do to your return? It ramps up tremendous. And that's what we do all day. And investors love seeing that numbers go up. Leverage enhances investor returns all day long. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing, Jay. And so how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? It's changed my life. It changed my life from uh, being too far inside a law practice, managing 45 hangnail employees and hating every minute of it to having, I wouldn't say, I mean, do I have the time on my hands? I could, I enjoy what I do and I'm passionate about what I do and I'm workaholic. So it all, so I, I choose to work. I choose to, to do what we what we do, but you know, Hey, I can, like I said, I live here in Arizona. Now I buying assets all over the country that I've never seen, never need to see. So what's better than that? Am I in a brick and mortar? No. I mean, I worked from home long before COVID made me work from home. So you adapt to that. So that's the beauty of, of what we do. But yeah, that's, that's what I enjoy. So is there one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? One thing that I wish I knew what I would have told my younger self certainly got started a lot faster than a lot sooner than I did for starters. Everything has just evolved. I mean, if you really you got to stick to it. It's not an easy, easy thing. But when you're experienced and educated, it all goes hand in hand. Yes, seven years later, I can, you know, we're having this conversation where I stubbed my toe many, many times, but I learned from those bandied off and moved on. Again, there's the invaluable expertise is 
partner up with somebody who knows what they're doing because that helps avoid the scab from when you rip the bandaid off. No, that's, that's very sound advice. <laughs> and so do you have any tools or techniques that you've used to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life that you can share with us today? That's a work in progress. <laughs> uh, there's two components to it. So I like to say that the old nursery rhyme, you know, the old woman who lived in the shoe, she had so many children, she didn't know what to do. Well, my partner and I, with Scottsdale REI, we have been together going on almost four years now, pretty close, a few months, it'd be four years. And we bought, out of the 400 plus transactions I've done, probably done about half or so with him, a third with him, at least a third with him in a very short time period. And so it got to the point where we bought so many assets, we didn't know what to do. And I don't mean that literally, but in the pandemic, we created our own software, REI Blade, www.reiblade.com. So we just launched our software, which there's nothing in the marketplace as for an investor, not just a note investor, for a real estate investor, a smaller real estate investor. Larger real estate investors have got Appfolio and some other products that, are, that, they, that they use. We created a software for the medium to small investor to be able to manage their assets. It does a variety of things. It was born out of necessity. It was born out of writing quarterly reports to our investors. Well, now they can go log into the, to the software and see their investments. They can see what they're doing as far as the status. They can see what the performance does from a financial component. It manages your assets. It houses your documents. It helps you raise capital and does a variety of other tools. It'll come out with a market. We're coming out with a marketplace where you can buy and sell your own assets on our site. Um, so that was one thing that has now allowed us to scale our business. The other thing is just to delegate. I can't be the chief cook and bottle washer. My lanes are raising capital and, and managing the assets that we have. And to be able to delegate and add people, add staff, partners, whatever. I mean, a lot of what we do, you can, you can outsource, but now we've got to a point where we need to insource some of our stuff. Like, for example, we, on our buying side, we have an analyst that helps, one of my, helps my other partner, you know, analyze the deals that we're going to, that we're going to take down. We've got, well, Tyler, we brought Tyler on his business development. Tyler does a great job. Takes a lot of load off, off my shoulders. We also created, do a podcast uh, as well, as you know, um, and Tyler sets up all our guests for all that. So it's just one lane that I don't have to deal with any, anymore, which is, I, I enjoy doing it. Just, there's almost so much of me. So that's the two pieces that have really allowed time freedom in our lives. Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you so much for joining us on our today's episode and sharing about mortgage note investing. Definitely appreciate all the knowledge that you brought to the show today. My pleasure. And so if our listeners want to find out more about you and your company and what you do, where can they go? They can go to scottsdalerei.com is our website. My email is jay at scottsdalerei.com. And I do answer my phone, 714-458-6317. Check out REI Blade. Check out our podcast, The Real Estate Mastermind, www.re.mastermind.live. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jay. really appreciate everything again. And I really enjoyed having you on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com 
and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.